Hello, and welcome to Subderps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about video game review scores. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we talk about games, uh, which we've been pretty good about recently, I guess, compared to some of our other, uh, like, where we go week after week with, like, movies and stuff. But no, for real, we're doing games because we're good at this stuff. Um... Yeah, so this week's topic comes out of some controversy, I guess, uh, with all of this Prey, the like the Prey review score from IGN and everything. I didn't actually know about this until you brought it to my attention, though. Yeah, so uh, just just for context for listeners at home, what happened is um, the review copy of Prey that IGN received for the PC um, had, uh, pretty late in the game, a game-breaking bug which corrupted the reviewer's save file. And um, accordingly, he gave the game a 4 out of 10. Um, uh, later, what would happen is, is it was th- this, this, this would be patched. So, so the, the, the timing on this is also kind of weird um, in that when he was playing it, it was broken and the game went live with the break in it, but the review didn't actually hit the IGN website until after the patch had gone out. So... It was a little bit late for that, but it is, you know, still possibly somebody out there who hadn't downloaded the patch could have run into it. Um, Upon receiving the patch and going back to it, um, IGN updated their score to an 8, but this this one has some of its own inherent problems to it. But the other big thing is that um, Metacritic uh, famously does not update its score, so its score for the PC version of Prey from IGN is locked at a 4 forever. Um for various and sundry reasons. And so there's that aspect to it. This is kind of ballooned into a controversy. People started weighing in with their opinions. Um, the most famous, which is probably Total Biscuit, just because he's Total Biscuit, where he said he probably would have waited to see if there was a patch. But um, uh, another big thing of this called into light was the fact that um, Bethesda's new policy is to not give out review codes until hours before the game actually launches. Um, and so... Uh, something if this uh, with other games where typically this is uh, you know much earlier in the in the process this could have been caught and addressed by the developers before the review went out um, or something that's where there's, there's really not that opportunity in this case because you hit the bug and the the product's imminently out and you know as what as you know a consumer advocate you have to warn players of this kind of thing and so maybe right. this is this this policy which is not the greatest policy consumer-wise, biting Bethesda in the ass. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the big bad guy here uh, sounds to be, like, Metacritic to a certain extent, right? Like, not updating review scores kind of seems like... Uh, it, it, why? Why is that the case? That seems so dumb. So the defense I have heard... Well, n- not necessarily the defense, but the reason that, that I have heard that that happens is um, Metacritic weights different reviewers but doesn't reveal what their weighting is. And if you can toggle your scores, you can find out what your weighting is, essentially, right? Like, if, if you know, IGN's a 4, and the overall score is, you know, a 70-something, and then they switch it to an 8, and it bumps it up to an 81, they can reverse, essentially reverse the math and figure out what their rating is. That seems the dumbest... I don't, I don't think putting... So, I hate Metacritic in a very... <clears throat> Uh, 
Like, from, from a couple of different angles, like, I think Metacritic is bad. I would rather Metacritic not exist, but I understand why it does, and that, like, you know, there are people who do base their, their kind of, like, decisions around it and everything like that. Like, I get that sort of thing. But I feel like if you are going to make this kind of an aggregator website, fucking just, you need to make it clear... I feel the same way about Rotten Tomatoes, though Rotten Tomatoes is a little bit more straightforward because everything I understand about it is just kind of, um, like, it doesn't specifically wait for who says what. It just collects everybody, everybody's equally weighted, and you can only say you fresh or rotten, essentially. Yeah, yeah, it gives positive reviews, essentially. A, a, <clears throat> a, a th it reports the percentage of positive reviews. Yeah. Rather than, uh, uh, rather than like, trying to combine the scores like Metacritic does. But so yeah, so like Metacritic trying to trying to, to to combine the scores, trying to assign scores to things that aren't kind of I don't know. I think all of that is very dumb and stupid and not good. Uh, so I, I've, I so I think, huh? I I think this, this is a confluence of different factors, and I, I don't know if I want to rest the blame squarely on Metacritic for the problem of Metacritic. Essentially, um, on the one hand. IGN should not be taking into account Metacritic's behavior when they rate their games, right? Like, that, that's that's straight up, the, the, they should be doing what they do. They should, they should not be concerned about how their, about how the way they score things affects Metacritic's ratings. Hell, right, right, right. Um, Eric, Eric Kane gets factored into the Metacritic score, and his scores are like, buy it, rent it, or, or like, leave it. And so that gets roughly translated to like zero fifty and one hundred percent, which is like absurd for what what those statements are supposed to mean. I think the same thing happens for Kotaku because Kotaku does uh, a similar kind of mm. like sum up at the end of the thing, just kind of like, hey, what works, what doesn't, you know, get it now, get it later. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the other yeah. hand, I think that what Metacritic does in aggregating reviews is is useful and. Um, good for a glance, but I think the problem is is, is the way that people is the way that both people and uh, and publishers use it. The, the most famous example of this is for um, I believe it was Fallout Three New Vegas. Right. Um, the Metacritic score came in one point under their like uh, the publisher promised uh, Obsidian um, some large sum of money if it got over like an eighty on Metacritic and it got like a seventy nine. Um, and that came out, and it was just kind of like, why are we doing this, right? Because this, putting this kind of financial incentive on Metacritic, um, which is you know not Metacritic's fault. It's not like Metacritic is rubbing its fingers together because it cost Obsidian money, right? It's not like that money went to them instead, right? Um, uh, which is why I'm hesitant to blame Metacritic, but that kind of behavior is bad, um, and I don't think it's necessarily Metacritic's fault that their system has flaws, but then publishers choose to use that. Um, the other side of this, too, I think, is that um, uh, is, is, is that I think users are too quick, like, players are too quick to, like, point at Metacritic scores as kind of, like, the end-all, be-all. Um, I think... Metacritic yeah, I mean, I definitely I definitely agree with that aspect of, uh, of things, right? Like, you know... <clears throat> Like, I think the best video game of all time by Metacritic is, like, GTA 4 or something like that. It might be different now. Um, and, uh, and so, like, like I've definitely seen, I've definitely seen people talk about 
games and 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 things like in terms of like Metacritic and such a weird, I don't know, man. It's such it's such a weird <clears throat> it's such a weird thing. I actually don't even necessarily mind the the spirit of the kind of Fallout New Vegas thing in the sense of like I want you know I'm 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 farming out development of this title to you right. And I want you to, like me as the pub publisher, and I want you to make a good game, right? Not just by my standards, but by kind of, uh, like, universal standards or whatever. Like I, like, I understand the impetus in there, but just, like, what an awful, you know, way, way to try and execute that. Because Metacritic is just such garbage. <laughs> uh, I, I think garbage is a little strong, but I see your point. Oh, by the way, I, I checked it while... You were talking, the highest rated game on Metacritic of all time is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which, um... Fair enough. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure there are people who would argue that that's true. Um, but anyway, um... Uh, this kind of brings uh, to I have the, absolutely... The, the kind of general issue with, with, with trying to fit a number... I think my internet uh, just cut game, out. Which is kind of what we wanted to, 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 to make this episode about, um... Uh, buddy, I know I know you ha have some thoughts about this. So do you would you want to start us off? <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Minor technical difficulties, but uh, I think the question can stand as it was, buddy. Um, what were your uh, what What are your thoughts on review scores in, okay. in the general case? So, um, I've talked in the past about there needing to be a uh, a, a big wedge of difference, uh, essentially put into um, what it, what constitutes review and what constitutes, like, a critique sort of thing, right? Um, for instance, I don't think that the question of is this a good or bad game is within the realm of a, uh, of a review to answer, right? As far as I'm concerned, that's for something that, like, you know, like, somebody can do a deep dive on that and really kind of make their case. This is, like, the air and signal version of things, right? Like, no holds barred, all spoilers, 20 minutes, what, you know, like, you know, like go, go, going hard for it. Whether or not a game is a good purchase, right, that, like, like whether or not it is a good product, right, whether or not it is good as a consumer to consume this product, right, that is the is the purview of a review. And in so far as that is the case, I think scores are actually pretty helpful, right? Um, I think on Amazon, for instance, when I'm looking to go buy a new set of headphones or whatever, being able to move through piece by piece and uh, and finding, you know... Oh, this is three and a half stars. Oh, this is four and a half stars. Right, going on Yelp, doing the same kind of thing. Like these, are, this is where scores belong, right? This, this is how we we should be thinking about, you know, like about scores in terms of specifically whether or not this thing is worth your money, essentially, right? But whether or not something is worth your money is not is not the same thing as as evaluating whether or not it's like fundamentally good in my opinion which is why i want like i which is why i want to like dig into that nuance and try and rip those two things apart to whatever extent i can because uh i mean yeah. I, I think at some level they're they're related though right like oh no de okay so yeah definitely right definitely but i think so i think a good number of the conventions that accompany a typical review are things that are anathema to what you need in order to make a, a good judgment for um, uh, 
like over like like an overall kind of quality sense, right? Uh, Eric Kane talks about this. Plenty of games require hundreds and hundreds of hours for like a full playthrough where you kind of see everything, right? Um, you don't have that kind of time in a lot of situations, especially situations that are created when you know Bethesda wants to be you know picky about their review codes, right? Um, uh, you also don't want to give away spoilers and stuff like that to the to the people that you are. Uh, you know, recommending or not recommending they spend their money on this thing sort of thing, right? This is a, it further hamstrings your ability to talk about this kind of stuff. But those things don't talk about, the, you know, like don't hamstring your, the kind of gut level, right? You know, buy it, don't buy it, wait for it, you know, wait for it on sale, sort of, you know, like, like separating things out into that kind of, uh, like, into that kind of way. I actually like scores um, more so than I like some of the kind of, like, buy it, don't buy it that kind of Kotaku uh, or, you know, like, Eric Kane or whoever use. Um, the reason I like scores uh, is because it allows a particular, like, reviewer to kind of cultivate his own specific scale for what is... Um, like what is good or bad? In, if if that makes sense, um, which I, so so I, I understand what you're saying. I think though that um, if you're on a ten or a one hundred point scale, there's there's those expectations are already kind of set out for you, and they kind of I don't know. I, this, this is actually one of my bigger problems with with scores is that the effective like especially on a hundred point scale, games are kind of graded like grades almost. Right, like, yeah, it's definitely true, and I think that that's bad. But I would be more than happy to. I, so, I, okay, so this is YouTuber I follow. Do you know Arlo? Uh, the the puppet. Yeah, yeah the puppet. Yeah, yeah, it's biggest like Nintendo fanboy ever, right? Um, but he actually he does a ten point review scale, and it's actually very and he's and he's very good about it, right? Like he doesn't give kind of dummy grades, um, in order to prevent things from getting like a two or you know like whatever else kind of thing, right? It's. I actually think it might be one through seven. Yeah, it's a, it's something weird. Technically, like that. I think it's one through seven because I think four is the midpoint, which is just kind of like ah, eh, it's so so sort of thing. But like, and so, but that so that's what I appreciate, right? I spent I've spent plenty of time watching Arlo videos, right? Watching him talk about games, um, even though he is like the most devout Nintendo fanboy like ever, right? Um, hey, he's got nothing <laughs> on me. No, he is actually like I don't know. He's the, there are. What's the way to put this? That you can tell how fanboy uh, somebody is of Nintendo depending on how they feel about Super Mario Sunshine. Um, oh, <laughs> I actually really like Super Mario Sunshine. Do people not like it? Do people like it? So I think it's one of those things where, like, so it's it it's one of those games where like. Now people are like, actually, it's pretty good. But I think it was, like, at the time, people who weren't fanboys just didn't bother sticking with it. Um, and, uh, like, it, it's one of those games that's kind of good in retrospect. Uh, but that that is kind of the hallmark to me of, of, of a fanboy, is, is, how, uh, is, is, is how, how much they like Super Mario Sunshine or not. Or how much they're willing to tell you they like Super Mario Sunshine. Fair enough. I mean, hey, man, I, li I love Super Mario Sunshine. I played that thing end-to-end -end once when I was, like, a kid, obviously. But I, I don't know. I, I I very much like that game. In fact, I actually kind of like that whole GameCube era. To, uh, uh, there's a part of me, there's a big part of me that thinks that the GameCube, like, 
as a uh, like as a system was better than the N64. Just because like the games that I played on GameCube, man, like Pikmin, dude, Metroid fucking Prime, right? A Super Mario Sunshine is so much better than Mario 64. It's and it's like, you know, not that I want to shit on Mario 64 like Ocarina of Time or whatever, right? But like, you know, because those things were the first of their kind, this is such a tangent, but because those things were first of their kind, they still this is a little bit of how I feel about the original Star Wars, right? Because it was so groundbreaking, it's very rough around the edges, and then like subsequent versions of of, of like that archetype got to kind of smooth things out and figure shit out and that's where i feel like a lot of those gamecube games uh like come down is they've they've, they've, they've like figured their shit out <laughs> yeah i can agree with that um, um yeah like like mario 64 is is seminal um in 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 uh third person platformers um and kind of really ushers in the era of 3d but i see what you're saying that like it is not the smoothest experience. Yeah, I mean, whenever I talk about, whenever I talk about kind of, um, uh, whenever I talk about like impact, right? Th th this is what I'm measuring, right? Like this thing has a gigantic fucking crater, uh, kind of attached to it. Anyway, we're off topic. Um, so my point is. Arlo, who is this, like, massive Nintendo fanboy, I keep track of him because I want to know what the fan Nintendo fanboys think. I also think he's not that massive. He's doing a little bit for clicks, by the way. Just, like, not to throw some shade, but, like, he made a million fucking videos about, like, Switch hype. Anyway, um, I, I, I think... I think him, I might believe that he's actually that hype. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, every time it was like, how how the Switch is going to redefine console gaming. How it's going to redefine handheld gaming. I was just like, come on, dude. Um, anyway, um, he, you know, so so I've spent some time with him. I've I've seen some of his reviews, right, sort of thing. Uh, and he has his scale, and I understand, and, and I understand his scale on a personal, you know, like on a personal one to one kind of uh kind of level right the, the same thing happens to me a lot with movie reviewers um because certain people will do stars they'll do grades you know c plus a minus you know like whatever um they will do uh you know thumbs up thumbs down siegel and schuster version right you know or siegel and schuster fucking what am i talking about siskel and ebert <laughs> hall and oats yeah we know yeah hall and, yeah, hall and, oats. <laughs> yeah. and so uh and and so and, I, and so i find that sort of thing very valuable right on my netflix for instance i am very well i was i guess they removed this but i was very diligent and uh and kind of um uh self-policing about what I rated as what, you know, what was five stars, what was four stars, what was three stars, two stars, one star kind of thing, right? Um, and those fit into very discrete categories in my head. And I could have written and published reviews for every every single thing that I would have said, and, and somebody could have been reading my stuff and gotten the same experience. You know what I mean? Like that. This is this is what this is on a personal level. I feel like scores are very useful because I really like interfacing with a critic in a um, a reviewer, really, in a certain uh, context, right? Like in a in a personal one on one context, more so than I like than I like the idea of aggregating all of the critics that I like and taking whatever their aggregate is as you know as the proper score if that makes sense i guess fundamentally when it comes down to it i feel like if your review scores are very useful uh 
when they are localized, but not very useful when they are aggregated. Because when you aggregate, you are comparing incomparables, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and that is the, that's the fundamental problem. Like, honestly, I, I think if Metacritic only, like, took 10 and 100-point scales and combined them, I actually think it would probably do a much better job than it does right now. Like, I, I, I like... I get the, the the desire to include a bunch of different things, not, not to beat the Metacritic point too hard, but, like, I think 10 and 100 point scales kind of have the same grading system. But, like, once you start throwing in, like, five-star systems, right? Three stars is, like, a 60% equivalently, but it means something much different than a 60% would mean on a 100-point scale in, in the general case. Um but I, I, I think I, I think I agree with you in, in kind of the, the, the general sense. Um, I also like num numeric scores just as kind of like a, like like a brief temperature gauge. In fact, I, when when I'm looking to to figure out how I feel about a like or not how I feel about a game, but uh, it, uh, looking at reviews of the game, um, I do one of two things: I either go and like read whatever like the, my trusted sources. Usually, that's like Eric Kane, maybe. Maybe look at some gameplay from from Total Biscuit, um, or I'll go to Metacritic and I'll look at the score and then start reading the reviews down down the line, um, because I also think that like I, I think actually one of the biggest problems with, uh, with 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 kind of these aggregators is is for your off um, your, your off mi uh, mainstream titles right like I think Metacritic probably does a pretty good job of getting the culture or the critical consensus around say your gta's and your call of duties uh -huh. but i think like for games like say um like we were, we were talking a little bit before the cast hearts of iron or um or any really niche game like your uh like say like uh freaking uh like stardew valley or, or things like or, or undertale or stuff like that um like they're not gonna hit the mark because especially for the for the more niche ones, right? Like I'm Undertale is pretty accessible, but like something like Hearts of Iron is going to be very good for people who like that level of simulation. But for like an average person, you like I would not go out and tell your average Call of Duty player to go buy Hearts of Iron because they're not gonna enjoy that game, right? Like I'm there's right uh, there's a specific type of person who I would tell to go buy that game. Um, and then, you know, be like, this would be like an 80 for you. And I think that that translates poorly into the typical skills. And this is actually, I think, where a lot of the confusion comes from. Because, like, like traditionally, those types of games live in, like, the 70% range. And, like, you real like, it's, it's, it's like, oh, if you're a fan of the genre, pick that up. And sometimes that means it's a mediocre game in the genre. And sometimes it means it's, like, a hyper-specialized game in the genre. I think that... Um, you Holy really... shit, you're actually super right about that. Because I've heard that phrase a lot, but it does mean both of those two things kind of simultaneously. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because I, I wow, man, that that is super true. And that is so, like, not actually descriptive. Yeah. Um, and then so for those kinds of things, you need, you need to go to, like, um, people you know who enjoy the genre. Um, or, like, you know, like, you, know you, need, you need to... Essentially, do do your homework. And this is this is nothing new, right? Like, um, I, I it, it's a weird way to feel because I, I don't think anybody who's like uh, who's like one of these grand strategy fans is going to IGN for their for their reviews of Paradox games because they know they have to they, they can't trust that to be indicative of what they're gonna uh, of you know what the game means to them. Um, 
but like I, I don't know. I, I just feel I just feel like I don't know if they're actively harmful. I just think they're just not useful in, in those types of cases. Uh, those scores. Right. Um. <sighs> yeah, I mean, my big, my really big thing when it comes to review scores, when it comes to reviews, is. Um, Breaking and breaking apart the difference between like review and uh, and like this you know like what I think of as more more like thorough critique. I think it's easier with movies and because games take so much of their so many of their kind of um, cues almost from like movies that. This is a little bit of why the problem has cropped up because I actually think it's much more. Po- I I don't think it is this in the same way possible, right? You're still hampered by stuff like spoilers and everything like that. Um, but it is a, it is much easier in order to relay to somebody that this is a good film, go watch it. This is a bad film, don't go watch it because you've seen the whole thing two hours. You know what I mean? Um, games are so varied in terms of those these widely incredibly you know, diverse scales, right, um, for time and for scope and for pricing and, you know, all of these kinds of things that boiling it down uh, and trying to and trying to make those two things line up. I mean, it's already hard enough for movies, right? But, like, you, you know, now you're trying to do this with games and it's like, well, how do I rate a game like League of Legends, Right, you know, yeah. like I, it's it's it really demands a lot of uh, a lot of really tough problems, and I don't think re- reviewers do very good uh, work for themselves because, um, in a lot of situations, they do try and equalize the footing that that everything walks in their door on, if that makes sense, right? But I think it might actually be, you know, I think it's actually. Um, uh, beneficial from the perspective of a reviewer to be pretty asymmetric about how you are, you know, like how you are walking into stuff and how you are looking, uh, and how you're looking at stuff. Um, because otherwise it just feels, uh, like sometimes I'm, you know, like sometimes I can sit there and I'll read a full review of some of, well, you get a pretty good difference, I think, between like indie games and, uh, and like mainstream games. But, you know, like the, the, the point I'm making is that, when someone tries to review Hearts of Iron on the same scale that they review Call of Duty, that's when they fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think and I think reviewers walking into games more uh, like more on their own terms, like the game's terms, than um, you know whatever. Then you know like kind of whatever else you you get a lot of uh, you get a lot of good stuff coming out of that, I guess. Yeah, I I, I think kind of also to piggyback on your thing about. Um, kind of this separation. I, I do think it's important. I think it's less necessary with with movies because no one goes to a movie, at, like no one watches a movie on on like the back of an airplane headrest and then complains that it was too small or whatever. But like things like performance on varying systems is 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 a potential issue for yeah for games yeah. and, and that's that, that's like a legitimate piece of- no I mean that's actually <coughs> so funnily enough that is a big thing when it comes to uh, home video right people re- will review kind of like home video releases of this that or the other thing and be like oh well you know like, like for instance the the you know the home video release of Batman vs Superman the ultimate edition includes all this extra like 30 minutes of extra stuff it slots it in there you know like like 
you know, wonderfully. There's the whole commentary. There's all this behind-the-scenes shit, right? The extended edition of, like, the Green Lantern movie literally just takes, like, one under CGI, like, one scene that they just didn't finish the CGI for, plugs it into the movie for, like, a minute and a half, and they call that the fucking extended edition. And I really appreciate that there were critics out there who well, you took the time to kind of go, yes. This was, yeah, this was a, a blatant piece of shit money grub, you know, like, don't even, don't even bother. Right? I wasn't even aware there were home release reviews. Uh, it's more common than you think. The DVD market, it's, it's less common nowadays. The DVD market is one of the reasons that, like, Hollywood budgets and scale and everything has ballooned up to such ridiculous proportions. Um, because once you started appealing to, uh, you know, like... Just to follow this tangent down down like the rabbit's hole a little bit. Once movies kind of with the Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, and also a little bit like the the return of Star Wars and then the one, two, three uh, of, you know, X-Men and Spider-Man kind of like solidly took a sh like a, a right turn into geekdom, right? The print a prince a principal way that these movies were making money wasn't just go wasn't just at the box office. Like, yeah, sure, you know, Spider-Man 1, 2 and 3 made a bazillion dollars at the box office, but you can actually make a meager amount of money at the box office, but still sell people the $40 collector's edition with, you know, like bonus features and content or whatever to these dvds and that was a gigantic market uh for a really long time basically even if your movie like hard flopped you could still make money off of the dvds uh and and kind of like break off uh and come out and come out the other side even right and and, and by the way all almost all of this is because the lord of the rings extended edition dvds were so good Right, they were so thorough and so comprehensive. It was like it was like they included a nine-hour documentary on the making of the Lord of the Rings in every single one of those movies, essentially. Um, and people paid people paid money for that shit, you know. Um, so yeah, man, yeah, DVD DVD release reviews were a thing. That's that was a real thing. Not so much anymore. Amazon also kind of got rid of a lot of that stuff just because uh, you know, like user reviews really kind of outsource the the problem for free yeah so that's fair um but yeah just to, they, they kind of bring it back like um i i think that i think this is actually you know not 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 to not not, not to like throw us into into the into the culture wars of of gamedom but i think this is kind of where you see like this this is this friction um in 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 the uh in in the uh industry between like where where where, um, where critiques are being and, and reviews are kind of because they occupy the same space there there's there's uh, there's there's obviously friction there based around mm -hmm. those kinds of issues and I th I think that 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 like uh, putting that like 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 clearly dividing out that separation is 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 kind of a good way to 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 break those problems apart if that makes sense. Right. No, I'm no, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Especially because um, I do th like I think the other thing about uh, the, like the, so the reason I made this DVD comparison is because DVDs are also kind of like quote unquote com consumer products, right? right. Um, that you need to uh, that, like bring home with you essentially. Um, and so that really did get me, you know, like so that's really something that I did get thinking about 
I guess. Um, when it came to games where, you know, like, I don't go to a game, I don't go to an arcade, I guess, which would be, like, a game theater or whatever, and then play a game and then review the arcade for you, you know what I mean? It's not like a, like a movie critic goes and tells you, you know, oh, the popcorn at this theater was so good, right? You know, like, because, like, you know, he lives in, like, Boston and I live in L.A., right? Um, but the, the, the only thing that the two of us share is that mutual service of the, the movie is being played for us, essentially. Right. So, uh, yeah, but I, so the, the prey thing, I also think adds on like an additional bit of controversy or not like controversy, but like how much do you rate in? game-breaking bugs like what the reviewer suffered from into a review. I really have a tough time kind of answering that question. You know what I mean? Because, like, I don't, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like at, at some level there's also, like, a... Hmm. I, I feel like, like, like there, there used to, there used, this used to be much more common where, like, You'd have like a couple different scores on a game on different aspects of it, and I think in a lot of ways those were misguided. But, hmm. like, I, I feel like almost in this case, like things like this, where like not only is it, uh, it's, it's a thing that you should definitely report on, but it's also a thing that could potentially be fixed. Like, I don't know, if, if I were designing an ideal system from the ground up, I'd say something like either like a separate score being like, you know, this is it's like performance score and this is its like content score um or something like you know like a big like you know red warning sign that says warning this game has game breaking breaking bugs um that may or may not be addressed by future patches buyer beware buyer beware the score below is only about content um irrespective of that but even even that doesn't work right because like i don't like the, the most famous example i can think of is the re-release of um, of that mech game, what, what was the name? Steel Battalion for Connect, which was, for all intents and purposes, completely non-functional. It's just like right. the, the, the Connect was just wasn't good enough to handle it um, at the time to replace what was like a what like a hundred and twenty dollar controller when the game initially came out. Mm -hmm. um, and like I think at that point that game deserves like a score of like zero because it's essentially non-functional. Um, and you can't even as a reviewer like review that maybe the answer to that case is like like put like warning under like unplayable on it and then like give it like a a, a, a null like you know like a, a non-score i definitely do like the the idea of a null score total biscuit did this for assassin's creed unity which was the one that kind of famously came out and was just like filled to the brim with bugs right yeah and he essentially put out a video which was akin to a, a review, you know, like, typically his reviews are, like, what the fuck is yeah. this game or whatever. Um, but and, he, and it was a video, like, about that length, but it was just him saying, I am not reviewing this game. I cannot review this game because it is literally unplayable, right? And I think that when, when it goes into, you know, like, playing a game... Playing a good game versus playing a bad game, that's a that's a zero to ten scale in my head, right? But being unable to play the game at all, then it doesn't even belong on the scale. You know what I mean? Like that's just a more fundamental problem than that. 
Uh, and especially because this stuff tends to be bugs and tends to get fixed with like day one patches and shit like everything. You know what I mean? Like part of me wants to say that, you know what, I'll just, I, you know, I just want everybody to know I played through as much of this as I can. I liked what I saw, didn't like what I saw, but you know, um, I'm not going to be able to do a full review until a patch comes out to fix this bug. That to me seems like the best case scenario for this sort of thing happening. Yeah, I... I so part part of me wants to imagine the, uh, the 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 flat out the uh, like kind of like the, the 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 worst faith actor you can imagine mm -hmm. uh, for this, and that that that, that looks something like, uh, you know, a, a developer who like makes a decent game, puts a game breaking bug at like the two hour mark, um, and it's like, well, the first part of the game was great, but you know, I encountered this game breaking bug, um. And I can't review it anymore. And then eventually the dev fixes it, and the game's just shit past that, right? Like, like, right? You know, in, in this fantasy land of worst possible actor, it's literally just like a, a you know non-functional game pat, or you know, like like non. It's it's an it's an open box with no textures or whatever. You just walk, you know, so something something like that. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I I think that like, I know part of me thinks that those corner cases are also things you don't have to worry too much about. Because, like, if that were to ever happen, the reaction would be massive. Um, uh, although I do think this highlights, like, <coughs> excuse me, um, the value of things like specialized reviewers. Like, um, like they had to bring up Total Biscuit. I love Total Biscuit's port reports because I prefer to play my games on PC. Mm -hmm. But a lot of games don't make a nice transition to PCs. Um Especially Japanese games, uh, because the I don't know, Japan doesn't like the PC market as much, or just doesn't always put the effort in there. Um, and so I, I think those kinds of things are uh, are super valued services. Um, and I, I don't know I I think that that's kind of like where everything's trending is is you want to go with uh, like I, I think I think the 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 best bet is instead of trying to rely on like monolithic publications is to like kind of branch out into things that in, in, into into content that you know that you can trust like um like i don't actually trust total biscuit so much in terms of like his broad thoughts on things because i think I, I i don't like the same things that he does and, and i think he's got um some particular problems with uh uh like uh like uh, to put it in frankly i think he's very bad at games and so, right. and so I think that that affects sometimes his judgment. But he also puts up enough footage for me to, like, make those determinations. Um, so I, I, like, I always look to him for port report stuff, but I don't generally trust him on uh, review type stuff. Um, but I think, I think that's the, the answer you kind of go with. You know, you got to go find people that you trust, you know, for your, find your Quillite teens to tell you about the newest strategy games and find your, um, uh, you know, the, the people that you, like, like, I, I find my tastes line up well with, with say, an Eric Kane, and so I trust his opinion generally on on things. Um, the, the, I, I, this issue is quickly becoming plug plug our favorite. Uh, I mean, that's definitely true, because, I mean, I, I was literally just watching, uh, like, a Quill 18 video about Hearts of Iron, because that's what I've been playing or whatever. But, like, yeah, I just don't get that kind of thing for from basically anyone else. I mean, I guess there's, like, a Roomba. Uh, I know that there are some other... Um, members of the like the kind of like grand strategy game youtuber community there's like there's a community for that essentially 
And the and I was and I'm always flabbergasted by these view counts. Like the very first video that Quilly Team put out on Hearts of Iron Four got eight hundred thousand views, and I was like, Jesus Christ! Like a hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand views on a you know whatever it is on a thirty minute video uh, about you know, a paradox game, but yeah, holy shit, fucking, he's, he's the man for it, I guess. And and I think actually kind of like the, the takeaway for this is, is, is not necessarily go, you know, don't necessarily go look at Eric King, look at TB, look at Quill 18. It's find people that, you know, like, like each listener should go and find the things that they like, find reviews they know that they like and, and, uh, go work it out. And go follow those people. Like find find your reviewers, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, honestly, uh, to kind of throw it back to a thing a couple weeks ago uh, that we talked about, I like watching let's players a lot and, and streamers in some ways because they give they give you know it, it, it's a, a lot of ways very raw kind of like experience of gameplay, and in some ways that's that's kind of like the best way to 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 figure out how a game is is watch it watch it happening. Um, and have somebody be like, oh, this feels like shit or something, um, with, with, you know, minimal interpretation. I, I think that's valuable, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's valuable, I guess, if you kind of have the time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, But I also, I very much do wonder, you know, the, uh, like, I do wonder about if I sit down... And I watch like a full let's play of something. Will I, you know? You know what I mean? Oh, like, I, I didn't necessarily mean a full let's play. Like, um, I think full let's plays are, are are a different. Like, I don't think you should watch a full let's play and then decide to play the game or not. Because I, I I do think that that's that's not always congruous. But like watching like the first thirty minutes of a let's play or watching a streamer for like an hour or two on a right. longer game g- gives you, gives you a lot of like raw data there. Um, okay, fair enough. I don't know. I think the biggest thing—the biggest thing—is simply you have to do your research, right? Like you can't, you can't just lazily, like, like flop over to Metacritic and be like, "Oh, that's all, eighty-seven." Whoa, that means it's 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 eighty-seven goods, and then and then roll back away, if that makes sense. You have to, you you have to be an informed consumer. Yeah, I really think you, uh, I really think that that is true and necessary. Um, but I think that it's, you know, kind of too, uh, it's just too easy not to, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very easy to be, um, it's very easy to be lazy, I feel like. I, I think that's definitely true. It's, it's very easy to be. Very, very lazy. Uh, I don't. Know. I don't. I don't know what the what the the solution to that is, though. Yeah, me neither. I really have no. Don't be lazy. Don't, don't be lazy. <laughs> don't, don't be, be lazy, lazy, you stupid idiots. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh. Hmm. Well. Uh. Anyway, I guess that's about all we got on this topic. The good yeah. news is we have a lot to talk about for our weeks because we actually played two sessions of D&D before we recorded episodes. That is true. 
That because is- we recorded late, uh, and we were recorded early last week, and we recorded late this week. Um, so, I guess, uh, yeah, there were the two episodes, or the, the two sessions. I actually don't have all that much to say, I guess, about them off the top. Like, I, I typically always want to, like, oh, I've got all this stuff I want to I talk about, but this is actually a little bit run-of-the-mill, almost, it feels <laughs> Like, yeah. So, so how do you, how do you feel about the the way this is, this ziggurat adventure is going? I'm calling it the ziggurat adventure just because that word got used a lot. But uh, um, I I so uh, honestly, just to, to kind of like hot takes from 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 uh, Mango is that like I kind of felt like uh, the last adventure was supposed to be kind of um, uh, uh, Weirin's kind of like you know it's very way watcher mm-hmm. intensive right 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 and i feel that jimmy didn't lean so hard into it but i feel like like uh Marigrug, uh Marigrug's adventure which is what this is War- warren's actually leaning into a bit and i i think that's um that's 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 good um, yeah and i i very much agree with that uh, I also think we have we have hit the kind of timing cadence much better. Um, we're basically right on time for. I mean, you know, like I'm going to be recycling this structure a lot because this structure is something I like a lot, especially with you guys. But I actually would recommend it to a lot of GMs. I think um, essentially what I've been doing a little bit is I kind of have a session where I present a problem. And I, with, with, you know, with context, there's stuff going on, right? There's stuff in there. But, like, how you approach the problem is, like, the whole focus of essentially a, sec- of a session. And then it gives me a week to prepare specifically for the plan that, that gets, specifically for the plan, right? Which then gets executed on, like, the next week. Uh, and I very I, I kind of like fell into this. I don't even remember where the first one of these was, but I really like it as a way to kind of like structure two or three, you know, two or three session arcs almost. Um, because you guys get really hardcore into like the planning, the planning phases all the time. Yeah, I, 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 so I think I think it's kind of that magic place where uh, where uh, what, what, how do I want to put this? Where where mechanics meets fluff. Right, like, it's kind of like a very free area where we can be like, "Oh, I'm going to do this thing," um, which which like kind of engages with creativity. On like, like battles are, are usually pretty rote in terms of how you behave, um, and you know, there's 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 still fun and whatnot. But like, uh, I I feel like these these plays allow us to more creatively apply our mechanics, if that makes sense. Right, like, you know, like giving Jimmy a potion of or giving we're in a potion of beast shape so he can fly and scout around is like, you know, that, that's a, that's a valid mechanical use of the power, but it's also mm-hmm. a kind of creative one rather than, um, r- rather than say like either the, the pure fluffy things where it's just like talking about our feelings or right. the pure mechanical things where it's like, I roll my attack, my might to hit dice. Um, that, you know, I actually hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but I think you're super right. Um, I also think that the, uh, I think that the kind of exploring the sandbox a little bit is is at its best here, where like this is where this is where kind of D and D feels at its most kind of divorced. I feel like from like video games or you know like other kinds. You know what I mean? Like because. There was definitely stuff in there that I was just kind of like making up on the fly 
or whatever, but like you really get to kind of feel the whole thing out and you're asking questions and getting direct answers, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think all of that feels very good and is unique, I guess. Yeah, it's just part of what makes tabletop games special. Um, it's kind of the ability to kind of break outside what a video game lets you do. Um, and, you know, and, and do it in a way that's still it's still gamified. Um, uh, speaking of which, um, how uh, have, have we been reacting to this situation the way that you that you thought we would? Um, uh, feel free to not, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, I kind of expected you to fight the dragon. Okay. Um, though I, th- I fucked that up a little bit. He's supposed to be a little, like, meaner and, like, more condescending than, I, than he kind of ended up being a little bit. Um, and so, like, there's, uh, you know, and so, like, the version of it, I, you know, it's kind of, like, 50-50 a little bit in my head, but, like, the version of it where you fight him and the version of it where you don't fight him um, are kind of just separated by, like, whether or not, you know, you just want to, like, put him in his place for being, like, a, a piece of shit, but I didn't really sell that. Uh, plus, you guys were pretty into just, like, talking to him about stuff, and I felt like I needed to take the time to... Um, kind of go end-to-end a little bit on some of this Cyrexis lore. Um, but, you know, yeah. That makes sense. It sucks a little bit because I made this whole boss fight for it, but I think the boss... I think you guys might have fucked... Like, not fucked up the boss fight, but might have been frustrated by that boss fight. Oh, well, it's good to avoid frustrating things then. Because uh, there's, there's like, the a very gimmicky... Did I tell you? I told you guys the mechanic, but for the, the, the listeners at home, what it was is this guy, you know, he, he's in, a he's in like, a human form, but he's, like, all shadow. It's a shadow dragon, right? Uh, and he has two phases. The first phase, he's in his human form, and he has, like, displacement and, like, mirror image up. And every turn, he's just casting these things that are creating these, um, like, little puddles and, like, little ghosts. But the ghosts don't do anything in the first phase. And so, uh, and then, and then once you, uh, once you, like, hit him to a certain HP value, he transforms into a dragon, and then all of the puddles that he set up start shooting him with healing, like, healing shadows or whatever, and all of the ghosts start doing damage to the players. So, it's something that, like, if the players see the, sh- the puddles come out and don't give a shit about them, right, and then he transitions into dragon form, and all of a sudden he's, like, healing for 46 every turn and you guys are like the party is taking 46 from the fucking apparitions every turn like i could see that be a really frustrating thing and there's no good iterative mechanic in D. you kind of have to figure it out on the fly or lose and i think those mechanics were like a little bit tougher uh, yeah yeah especially oh and then the other the last thing was you can only the the apparitions and the and the shadow wells can be they have a hit point bar which is part of it which part of it i was like well if i give these a hit point bar and i display that to the players right they think of them as things that they can attack implicitly right but if you attack it with anything that's not a light source it doesn't take any damage and if you attack it with something that is a light source it takes damage and they only have one hp so essentially the whole mechanic is just there are these like weird torches all around and you're supposed to hit it with the torches or like a sunrod or like one of your own torches or something like that if you want to dispel these uh these things yeah. So, so suggestion for you for the future. This is, this is something I, I learned from, uh, uh, I think it was one of Eager Raptors videos. Um, essentially, instead of instead of trying to have us figure that out in that fight, 
maybe in one of the ziggurats where there isn't the dragon, like one of the earlier ones, have like small enemies that kind of use the same mechanic um, that we fight in like a smaller encounter. Um, that way when the puddles show up, we know what they do. If that makes sense. So like have like, like a whelpling or something show up. Uh, throw some puddles on the ground. Um, hmm. Something like that. And I, I feel like th that that can telegraph that that lets the players know about the mechanics. Uh, so the big thing, so the big thing with that is that the question of whether or not you guys can figure it out is, I think, the interesting part. It's just that the game is particularly punishing when it comes to the, the like those mechanics are particularly punishing if you fail them essentially right like i like i don't want you to walk into that ziggurat fight knowing the trick to it right the point is to try and figure out the trick during the fight the the first ziggurat fight was like this right um uh you know like you guys which which was about right on right on track with what i expected right um he, he did the darkness thing you guys kind of flailed for a round and then the next round came around and you figured it out right um that's like the best version of this sort of thing. But like, yeah, it's just like with players and with me when part of the mechanics are figuring out the mechanics on the, like the, you know, like on the fight, it can get, it can get kind of tough. Yeah. Maybe the right answer there then is something like is, is make it something where like the, like, uh, essentially like essentially like in, 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 um, in rather introducing an iterative step, right? Like, Something like, um, the first time it happens, um, he kind of goes into stasis and he doesn't do anything, but the puddles like f heal him up to full. Um, and then, you, you know, you have to keep fighting again with, with whatever resources you've burned. Um, but you have, you, you haven't been like, like you've been punished with the resources you've expended, but you haven't been, it, it's, it's not like you've been, you've been punished by like. Like, it's not like it's, it's killing you, right? Like, it, it's just that the progress that you've made has been undone. Um, which I think is a little bit easier of a pill to swallow. So that way when it starts happening again, you know what you have to do to stop it. Um, it, it like, you know, it, it's... Because I could easily see a situation where, like... Like, by, by separating... Like, like, I could see a situation where, like, the players don't get it and they just kind of, like, f fuck up the fight. But, like, if you, if you rotate it into those phases where, like... You know, there's a healing phase that you that you have to deal with while he's while he's healing. It gives the players a little bit of time to experiment, and the consequences are how fast you figure it out is how much HP he recovers, and then you kind of figure out the trick for the the next time it's happening, and you make that like a a, a thing. Yeah, yeah, I I do I do like that a bit. So the other half of this, by the way, is that um, because it is so kind of easy, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, really, at the end of the day. like I, I like the mechanic a lot, but I, there might be a better way to to implement it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe it's like it, it's a neat mechanic, but maybe 
it's not the right mechanic for a figure it out during the fight mechanic, right? Like maybe that mechanic belongs on a on a fight where you introduce the mechanic earlier with minions and you pick a different. Yeah, mechanic if you do too. that, yeah, if you do that, then I think you have to make it. You you have to up the stakes a bit by making sure. you know like more of them or something because like each round he created one. Oh, I in, see. Okay. in an alternated sort of thing, and because they only have one HP, but like if you give these things a kind of real HP value, and uh, and you know that you have to attack it with, you know, you know you have to attack it with a fucking torch, which does like one d four damage, or you know, like whatever else sort of thing. Um, maybe that works, uh, or you just kind of like flood the map with them. Uh, and it's like, well, are you going to try and DPS the boss down before he spawns too many of these for you to handle? Which I think you guys legitimately could have done. Uh, you know, like, Rakax and Lone can burst DPS, DPR, for, you know, huge numbers. And there's a there's a big possibility that he could just kind of, like, make the, you know, like, make the point moot, essentially. If you all just, like, focus fire the boss. Um but uh, yeah, I bet I bet if you raise the I bet if you raise the stakes a bit, uh, that 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 mechanic works more if it's more telegraphed. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree. Um, but yeah, I I know I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying all of this so far. I think I I think I think the whole party is. I'm, I'm really enjoying this kind of like, you know, like like plan making around what we're gonna do with uh, with with with. Uh, uh, his sister, Marigrog's sister. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I expected suggesting that we like trick the trick the uh, the 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 way watchers into like false games. I expected that to like be met with high resistance, and that just to be like a very Beauregard thing to say. Like, well, we could trick them into in, into like getting themselves murdered, and it would benefit us. Um, but everybody <laughs> was on board with it. Like, okay, like, yeah. I mean, the part you know, this is why I kind of included the part where they essentially kind of slaughter these villagers or whatever, right? Because I didn't want it to be so, um, uh, like, I wanted that to be more of a real choice, right? I guess between between you and the rest of the party, whether or not you guys wanted to. Uh, wanted to like save these way watchers are in there because up until now the way watchers are pretty universally good guys you know what I mean like right they, they are they are people that heroes might theoretically save but then you watch them kind of cut down these civilians and like and yeah I mean there's all there's super mitigating circumstances right you know like they're basically being prodded to fight to the death you know uh, because their their freedom and everything has been completely taken away but yeah that was the reason that, that I included that little that little bit also obviously to show you uh the uh you know like the arena or whatever yeah also nice trick dehumanizing them by calling them the hoods for most of it um like that really that put a nice oh you know what's funny about that i didn't even think about that but that did work out you know why <laughs> it's because there was a version so the version of this where you guys fight through the arena right um i wanted to get some templates for <laughs> I wanted to get some like monsters or whatever, and for the Waywatchers, I just used this template that's called like the Hood or something. <laughs> like from one of the code, I think it's from Villain Codex. There's a there's a template. It's like you're just like, oh, it's like a CR8. You know, Ranger uses a bow or whatever. You know what I mean? I was just like, ah, this is fine. Well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I also did. I also did want to uh, separate them out from the Waywatchers a bit, though. So that's yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yes. <laughs> um, anything else you want to talk about with the uh, D and D sessions? 
I don't know. Those are the two big things that I wanted to cover. All right. Well, how's, how's uh, your week been otherwise? Okay. Well, so I've been playing Hearts of Iron. I bought Hearts of Iron maybe like a day and a half ago. And I think I've racked up 20, let's see how many hours. It's probably like 22 hours of, of playtime. Wow. Uh, playing a, through a full game, which is weird for me, which is very strange and not something that I'm used to, actually. Um, but I basically just play. yeah, I have 22 hours of Hearts of Iron, and I'm pretty sure I bought it. Uh, I bought it around midnight on, uh, on Wednesday night. Um, we're, today we're recording on Friday. So, uh, in the intervening, uh, in the intervening 42 hours, 22 of them have been Hearts of Iron. Anyway, um, the, uh, Hearts of Iron 4 is good. But it is very different from other Paradox games. And it is very weird. And I don't think I have a handle on it yet. And it's it's also a little bit frustrating compared to other Paradox games because of some of the... So here's, so here's one of the things that makes Europa Universalis great and super fun. Is that the time period is huge, right? You go from, you know, 14... You basically go for 300 years, like 1421 to 1721. Huge changes in the landscape of the world, right, between those two times. But here you're essentially going for about 10 years, right, 1936 to 1946. And even though they systemize down to, like, ticks of the turn aren't days, like in uh, in Europa Universalis, ticks of the turn are days. Um, ticks of the turn are hours uh, inside of the days, you know, which, you know... Uh, makes the turn length somewhat comparable to a certain extent, you know? So in, in hearts, so just to like do the math really quickly, right? Like it, hearts of iron would, you know, like, uh, 24 hours to the day on 10 years essentially is a, is around the same number as, you know, as days to the year for 300 years. Yeah. Um, and so like it should yeah, and so it, it, it sh they should feel similar, right? But just there's so much less. I just find myself spending a lot of time at very high speeds because there's just kind of so much less going on and to do until, like, the war breaks out. And even when the war breaks out, the kind of operative mechanic for, for like, warfare and for fighting, right, um, is essentially to put soldiers into an army... And then draw front lines and kind of offensive lines, and you know, and draw draw orders essentially, right? Like on the map, and then wait for your guys to plan, and then execute those orders, right? Execute that plan, um, and that puts a lot of it into the AI's hands, so much so that there's just like this little extra teensy bit of the you know, like of the like of the fighting that is out of your hands that really kind of um i don't know it's very satisfying so here's here's what can happen right it's very satisfying when you set a whole front 
and you have enough guys to put all of you know like all of your divisions of your armies on that front or whatever and you watch that line push like slowly push sort of thing um like that 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 can be like satisfying but it's also so kind of obtuse and arcane that i don't have a very good sense for what's going on i'm also a little bit frustrated so i basically played my first game as the united states um go america go america right uh the uh oh okay okay so here's the other operative mechanic of this game right there's something called world tension world tension goes it's like a percentage of zero to 100 percent um, when you start in 1936, the world tension is essentially at zero, and um, what happens is as you know, as Germany starts demanding and, and annexing, you know, Austria and Czechoslovakia and everything, um, these things increase the world tension by a certain amount. The fascist powers want world tension to be low. Right, um, and the democratic powers want world tension to be very high. Uh, when world tension is very high, the people in democratic nations support the war much more. Um, but otherwise, you you literally cannot because in, you know it's kind of abstracted away uh, that like your people don't want to like don't like aren't willing to go to um, uh, they're willing to go to war. Aren't willing to yeah, aren't willing to go to war or anything like that, and so you end up in these spots where uh, where you as a d democratic power, and by the way, you have very little you have very little opportunity as a democratic power to increase the world tension. Um, you want the world tension to rise and rise and rise so that you can get involved, right? I got involved in the war, war in 1939. Actually, funnily enough, World War II never officially broke out. It just kind of spiraled out of control um because of how uh it, it spiraled out of control the whole war was just called the german polish war uh. um but because what and but it never became a full world war because the soviet union never allied never joined the allied faction the soviet union created its own communist faction called the common turn um and so there was it was actually kind of three factions the fascists uh the democratic powers uh, and the common turn and the democratic powers and the communists were not fighting and the fascists and both sides were was and the fascists were fighting both sides right were the typical axis right um japan italy germany um and uh and so uh, it never actually became World War II because even though everybody was involved in the conflict, well, technically so, but everyone was involved in fighting. There were two; it was two separate wars happening simultaneously, oh, right? The the Axis versus the Allies and the Axis versus the Comintern, which was actually kind of interesting at the end of the day, right? Um, Germany attacked. Germany declared war on uh, like Operation Barbarossa much quicker than uh, in in history. Not in 1941. He did it in like kind of midway in 1940 um and essentially just destroyed his whole army um he actually so like france got wiped out ridiculously quickly france just got like absolutely shit stomped um but what ended up happening is uh amsterdam or what was that the netherlands the netherlands got a whole bunch of troops from the united kingdom and so germany never actually fully pushed them off of the con of continental Europe, uh, and then I got it, and I was involved in 1939 or whatever. And my biggest thing was just I didn't have enough ships to transport my like bazillion guys in their amazing equipment to the front. And once I did, I just got onto Italy and I just started like going going to town on these kids. It was insane. But like because so much of it was. Um, 
like I knew that my equipment was better and I knew that my troops were better, but I had a very hard time seeing the kind of ramifications of that in the field. And that sucks. It really right. like it, it really kind of pulled away from uh, like part of the game that I think would have been uh, cooler interesting. I feel like that's always kind of a weakness of these paradox games where like they give you a lot of control, like like the shipbuilder in Stellaris or like you can in, in CK2 you can control like kind of the 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 uh, the the composition of your armies. But unless you like really go hard in one direction, it's, it, it most comes down to numbers, at least in my experience. Uh, funnily enough, that is a little bit of the case, um, but, see, so, like, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of systems that also kind of feel like they are handcuffing you more so than they are, um, giving you options, I guess, is, um, uh, what ends up happening is, you need army experience in order to remake your divisions, right? And so one of the things that you want to do as you, like, as you progress um, is you want to add more stuff to your divisions. Oh, support artillery. Oh, we're going to add medium and heavy tanks to our armored divisions, right? Like, oh, you know, like making these kinds of, you know, like making these kinds of changes, right? Um, but what ends up happening is the only way you get that is when is by having your armies fight stuff. And so you're just kind of running around looking for a war to fight so that you can get just, a, like, enough army experience that you can actually modify your divisions to make them better. But then once you modify them, you have to equip, like, the army, like, those armies, then those divisions, in out in the field, mind you, have to be equipped with all of the new equipment and, like, the new manpower and everything like that. And then it, like, it fucks with their training. And it's just, like, and, and so the whole system just kind of feels like almost not worth it i guess um and then the other thing that sucks is uh how um uh resources work right you know there's a whole bunch of resources like tungsten and or aluminum right oil is obviously a big one rubber is a big one um but the resources kind of just stranglehold you so much that it just kind of feels like uh i don't know it it it, it, it you don't you don't get to see the you don't get to see the, um, the the kinds of production that you want because things just like take so long and resources are so hard to come by. Okay. Well, do do you still like the game overall? <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's not a U four. Maybe the, maybe this that that's unfair. I did the same thing with Stellaris to whatever extent. Is I kind of compared it to EU four. Um, and it didn't, you know, and it didn't hold up. I don't know. Actually, I really need to go back to Stellaris. Like, I, I've been meaning to go back to Stellaris because I know that there's some, like, D, you know, DLC and they've changed up some of the rules and the expansions and stuff like that. For instance, the shipbuilder actually in Stellaris is something that I am very into and have always been into. And um, and that that is the good version of this kind of, like, these divisions... And everything uh, was the shipbuilder in Stellaris. That's what I had a lot of fun. Uh, what I had a lot of fun with. Fair enough. Uh. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's just say it's uh, it's only for true grand strategy enthusiasts. Uh, how is your how's your week? Uh, it's pretty good. Um, bunch of different stuff. Um, I've got speaking of grand strategy games. 
I've gotten back into Civilization VI. I've started playing a play-by-email game with some of our uh, our college friends. Um, it's it's all right. I'm stuck on an island by myself, which is the second time this has happened in like the the two games I played with these people. Mm. Um, so you know, uh, it's it, it's it's kind of slow because it's it's play it's you know it's it's maybe one to four turns a day, but still fun. I think the online speed did a great job does a great job in making it not feel like it takes like a literal eternity for anything to happen. Um, I've been playing some Overwatch again. That game still still as good as uh, as it ever was. Um, really enjoy playing, uh, just playing with, with with other people. You know, right? Like I always find that find that to be the most fun. Same thing with Heroes of the Storm. Bedurban running that. I put a little bit of time into uh into into Diablo 3 um into the necromancer beta um he seems like a cool character I might get him on release I don't know if I'm gonna care enough to keep playing him but mm. he's but he's cool he's cool um what else did, what else did I play I played uh I, I keep playing uh enter the gungeon because I love that game. I love playing it while I'm listening to podcasts. It's it's just amazing for that. Um, I played a little bit of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is a great battle royale game. But I think we're gonna talk a little bit about like the the, the genre itself in the future. So I'll save that. Um, it's still a good game though. If you if if you want like a you know word and brief, it's great. It's also not free, right? And like it's, it's, it's thirty bucks. Okay, and it's early access. Okay. Uh, um, uh, was there any? Th- were, were there any other big game things? I've been following this Destiny Two hype. Um, I'm ex- I'm tentatively excited. I am. Uh, the, the big news of, out of that, at least the biggest news to, out of that to me, is that it's coming to Battle.net ra- right. rather than Steam. Um, which um, in a variety of ways, the questions I want answered is is I thought it stopped being Battle.net. Why are they calling it Battle.net? <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know why they got rid of it. I think, I think Battle.net is a great IP. I don't know why they yeah. think it's good to get rid of it. But uh, apparently but I, they it, don't, it right? A, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it makes a ton of sense for uh, for Activision, though. I am super um, I'm super into it. Yeah. No, I, I am. As long so I envision... So so I think the best possible version of this is... is uh, the, the Battle.net launcher being just, like, a, a hyper-curated store, right? Only, like, really high-quality games that, like, get, like, that, that are that are kept to, like, you know, at, at least, like, the, 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 the kind of illusion of quality with, like, your Blizzard games and, like, a couple mm-hmm. select few. If we start getting Call of Duties in there, it's not going to be good. Um, also, you know, it just doesn't seem like the, the launcher is built for it. But I think that Destiny 2 is a good kind of experimental step for that. Um, I also am excited for Destiny 2 just because I enjoy Destiny 1 a bit. Um, but, like, obviously I do the most of my gaming on, on the console, or on the PC, rather. And that game was only on the consoles. Um, so I'm excited for it to come to PC. Um, yeah, play with other people. Um, and, uh, you know, that's uh, that's taken up my fascination for the past couple days is reading news about that. Looks like Destiny. Looks cool. Hopefully they'll fig- they'll they'll make it. Bungie is has made very good console shooters, um, but the games the games are obviously like tend to be balanced around consoles. I, I hope that they can translate that kind of stuff well to the PC without sacrificing anything that makes those games kind of great. 
Um, right. And so uh, we'll, we'll just see with that. Um, I, I the, the big thing has always come down to, for me, um, the uh, breakdown between point and click for like a shooter um, and like a, like a controller for a shooter. Uh, Overwatch seems to have like gotten through the, that hump pretty okay though so we'll see yeah i have i i'm a little afraid i'm a little afraid uh uh of destiny 2 on the pc um yeah i i'm like i think i think call of duty and i think that um the halo games when they've come to the pc just haven't been as haven't felt as good because they're not like they're 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 meant to be console games hopefully Mm -hmm. hopefully blizzard will send over jeff kaplan to teach them a thing or two about how to make a good cross-platform shooter, um, and we'll get separate patches and everything. Uh, um, although it is kind of a bummer that they're still doing the exclusivity with 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 PS4 thing. Um, uh, the the uh, like I think they're still getting first content on PS4. Although maybe maybe it'll come out on PC too because apparently people don't think that PC counts when it comes to exclusivity half the time. Right. Um, but that could be that could be interesting. Um, the other big things uh, that I've been kind of soaking in is uh, first I wanna I, w- I wanna say that a couple weeks ago we watched a very bad movie based on an anime. Uh, Oof. Um, and so uh, last week I actually forgot to bring this up last because I watched it before the last episode. I watched um, the uh, new a- critically acclaimed anime movie Your Name. Uh, oh yes. Uh, yes. That movie is phenomenal. Um, it is one of the, it, it is a great movie on its own. It is one of the prettiest animated movies I've seen. I'm talking like Studio Ghibli levels of like animation quality. Um, and it hit me in a lot of ways that I didn't expect it to. Like, um, and it, 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 it's got some, it, it's just, the, the story's pretty great. Um, it, it touches on a lot of things that I didn't expect it to. Um, basic, basic kind of like teaser for, for those interested, um, there's a there's two um two character two main characters a a girl in the countryside and a boy in Tokyo and they find that every once in a while they their, their minds swap bodies um and they they think it, it, they they kind of like feel like they're dreaming when it happens uh, but they start leaving each other notes and it goes back and forth for a little while and the plot develops from there um it's 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 very well done um and uh, uh, oh, the the only other big thing is that if you're going to watch it, um, go watch the. I have been told to watch the sub. I watch the sub rather than the dub. I hear the dub is is, is not good, um, and not in the kind of like all dubs are bad, subs are superior, weeb way. Like just just mm. in in, the, in this specific instance, the the dub is not of particular qual particularly good quality, um, Fair and you lose a lot of nuance. Uh, so that you should go see the the, the sub. Um, the other thing I want to shout out is um, I backed Liana Kersner's uh, Lady Bits Kickstarter. Um, uh, if you are if you are unaware, Liana Kersner is um, kind of a, a self like uh, a self proclaimed video games feminist. I guess um, is, is the right way to put it. Um, but her approach, like the, the way she kind of expresses it, is like unlike. Unlike other personalities in that role, she's actually a, a, a an ardent gamer, um, and has deep interest in kind of exploring these topics, 
Um, and I, don't, I, I watch her channel a lot. I don't always agree with her, but I think she's, I think she's very insightful. Um, and so I'd encourage you, you buddy and our listeners to go check that out. Uh, throw in a couple bucks if you think that she's interesting. Who is this? Liana Kersner? Yeah, she was, she was a host of, um, of a, like a Canadian television show, I think at one point and she's a cosplayer. Uh, Liana K is, uh, is how she goes. I, if you, um, if you Google, uh, a lady bits, I'm sure it'll show up. Uh... Uh, she, but she's, you know, uh, she's past her goal already. So, you know, if you, if you feel like just sitting and waiting, that's fine too. Um, but she's, uh, I guess Lady Vix doesn't, doesn't bring it up. Lady Vix Kickstarter, maybe. Um, <laughs> <coughs> oh, excuse me. You. <coughs> Ooh, yeah. Excuse me. If you, if you Google Lady Vix Kickstarter, it's the first link. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. I think she's smart. Uh, I think that the project's worth worth looking at. I think her. Series I saw that. Uh, I saw that Anita Sarkeesian sent in. Uh, yeah. Like she finally finished her like her series or whatever tropes versus women or whatever. Um. Yep. This is. I she's so. Uh, she has been. Uh, Liana Kurzer has been trying to avoid essentially being like, this is like the good version of of that series. Um. But it, that's kind of what it like. It's it's like man, I really don't like this one line. Think a series about video games is best when it's written, produced, and hosted by someone who is actually a gamer. I I I that's I think that's kind of the selling point. Like the it's it. I, I'm not gonna get into. Um, it's just kind of like a weirdly shitty way to phrase it. It feels like that's that's fair. Um, I th- I think it's not necessarily a directed attack at, at Anita Sarkeesian directly, but it really seems to no, me that I, way. I don't know. Like, what else uh, am I supposed to uh, think so, so, it is? So, so so the the kind of her her general themes on her channel is that she thinks that gamers essentially like get a bad rap from the outside, regardless, right? Like, it's. I think I think her her she so her her kind of big claim to fame, at least kind of in, in the last couple of years has been, she kind of sp- has spoken out against kind of the the prevailing narrative that like gamers are like creepy man children, because um, she like you know like as she would put it she's a gamer and she's not a creepy man child, um, but I, I think she's talking about kind of like the the whole of like this kind of uh, of of that kind of movement. They kind of dismiss uh, to dismiss gaming um, in that way, uh, in, uh, in larger part, not necessarily just Anita Sarkeesian. Although I definitely think that she's 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 supposed to be part of that, um, and she's always the kind of view that gets brought up um, in comparison. Um, oh, like I said, I also don't think she's perfect. I don't agree with her all the time. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, it's just that one. There's that one line in her Kickstarter. It just seems. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, and you know, I think she also knows what she's doing. Um, she's she's also she she's she's a very sex positive feminist, which is I think where she rubs up rubs wrong with a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of your your uh, typical. Uh, given that a lot of feminist games criticism kind of is based around these kind of male gazy type arguments that. Um, it, it, you know, regardless of their 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 uh, their, their full scope, have as part of them kind of this uh, kind of shaming of sexuality. She kind of embraces sexuality, so 
Um, I, I think that's that's another big differentiating point. But I, I think I think the series should be interesting. I think she's interesting. So uh, um, even if you don't feel like backing, I, I recommend that you keep your eye on it for when the yeah, episodes come I, out. Yeah, I mean, I am always very interested in people who are, uh, uh, you know, this is the kind of, like, critique thing that, yeah, that I'm perfect. super into and super down for. So, yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um. Man, I was there's something else I was going to talk about that I remembered and then forgot. Oh, I, how do you feel about the new HOTS, uh, like, loot box system? You and I have played, played it for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I'm assuming that you've gotten a good number of, like, boxes and everything, yep. and you've felt around the system. Are you in favor? Are you not in favor? What's the read? Um, I like the fact that, like, things that were previously only accessible through real money transactions are accessible through, uh, are accessible through, through, through in-game currency. Um... Uh, but at the other kind of end of this, like, I think it's got all the shitty things that, like, gotcha systems, um, always have, um, but that's kind of no surprise. Like, they just include a bunch of crap, you mean? Yeah, like, there's, there's, there's a ton of stuff, like, I have never used a spray in-game, um, it's also kind of like, you know, the, the... The, the drip of the currency that you use to, to, to purchase things is, is, is slow, as it always kind of is. Um, and those are all, like, negative things, but I think overall it's better than what was there. I'd rather have that than um, a system where you can only get stuff by, uh, by, uh, by, by paying for it. Right. Um, I'd be happier if there were a way to just, like, sh like if you could just straight up buy, like... In addition to the loot boxes, if you could straight up buy exactly what you wanted instead of having to kind of piece the, because that, that's always kind of like the dark side of these systems is like, you can buy a uh, hundred boxes in in Here's the Storm or Overwatch and not get the thing that you want and not necessarily get enough credits to buy it because it's just filled out with all this other BS. I do like the fact that you can reroll chests though. I I, I love that feature. I, I do enjoy that feature too, but I actually do think that you can just buy stuff, right? I mean, so part of what I don't like about it is that they have bloated up with all of these different currencies or whatever. Like there's gems and gold and shards, right, or whatever. Um, but um, I think you can just buy gems and use that to buy heroes and skins, right? Uh, you can use them to buy that... heroes. I don't think you can use them to directly buy skins. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. I just assumed... Uh, yeah, uh, I, I looked at that, um, and you you can you can only use shards to buy skins, um, and so the only it's it's like coins in Overwatch, right? Like you have to you have to buy enough boxes to generate enough currency to 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 directly buy the things you want. Um, I do think like I think most of that is 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 it's less bad because that's only uh, cosmetic stuff. Like you can direct buy heroes still with with gems. So I, th I think that I think that's the important part that you don't have to worry about. Um, you don't have to worry about essentially uh, uh, being locked out of a particular hero if you really need to go buy one or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm also a big fan of them just kind of like giving you a billion heroes right off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> that was a very that was a very nice touch. I don't, is that is that because we had played Hots before or I don't know actually. Um, I would have like. I wonder if it's just. Does everybody get this big bundle of heroes now? I'm I'm not sure. Um, 
Although I would have preferred to have seen it kind of... Like, right now, they're by role. I would have preferred mm-hmm. to have seen it maybe by game um, or by maybe, like, general difficulty or something. That way, yeah. you, could, you could always fill a certain role. Or at least you could always fill, like, a diversity of roles instead of... Well, there, there's one flex box that just kind of has everything, but uh, I didn't get that one. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like packs based on game would, would, would is, is is also like a better way to draw new players, right? Like, uh, you love World of Warcraft, buy the World of Warcraft pack and play as Ragnaros and and uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually almost kind of wish to be honest that there was a little bit more of the like. I actually really like these Nexus things, and I want there to be more cross like cross pollination between the the different games in this in this way it's it, heroes of the storm is easier to do it because it's free yeah which is the thing that sucks like i would love to run 15 dungeons with my friends in wow right and get you know heroes of the storm skins or what you know whatever it is kind of things right play 15 games in overwatch i mean i guess that that one does kind of exist in this nexus one right like oh play you know this many co-op missions in starcraft 2 something like that i think that i i love that kind of um uh i mean you're literally using and i'm not no pun intended here uh you're you're using heroes of the storm as this kind of nexus between the different games uh you know, in the IP and linking them all, linking them all kind of together in that way. And I think that's actually a really strong, a, a really like strong place for Heroes of the Storm and for Blizzard as like a publisher to try and position like itself and its properties. You know what I mean? To um, to spread it between Overwatch, Diablo, StarCraft, and, and uh, uh, Warcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Hearthstone sometimes gets a little bit of So, you know, <laughs> hey man... <laughs> Blizzard, right? Like, well, I don't even know what you would call that, right? Like, brand specialists, come, come listen to our podcast for my expert advice. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was, I was saying this yesterday. I can't wait until I can play seven games of Heroes of the Storm to get like a new like gun in Destiny Two. That'll be mm-hmm. great. Uh, with with like, a, oh, holy shit! Yeah, I didn't even oh, think you know about what? That. That, that. That's definitely gonna happen. You're gonna be able to get like. The fucking diva pistol with the little chain hanging off of it. Do you think? Do you think that that's gonna happen though? Do you really think? Um, I think. I think that this is a move that Activision forced on Blizzard. Just from so for so Blizzard is actually buying its ownership back from Activision. It's in, it's been in the process oh, really? of this for a couple of years. Yeah, it's very slow um, because. It's a lot of money, sort of thing. But my understanding is that it's been going on for some. It's been going on for some time. I have a feeling Activision kind of forced this on Blizzard a little bit. I, oh, hmm. That might. That's that's interesting. Um. Hmm. Oh. Oh. Hmm, oh. That 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 would that would make sense because it that kind of like ties them together. Like if if Blizzard keeps one of distributing. Bungie games, which I could see that being a thing, right? Bungie's also kind of this classic kind of standalone developer that has very strong IPs. I think that would fit in well with kind of like the Blizzard model, but they're they're contractually under Activision for like uh, 10 years. So, wow. Huh. I did not think about that at all. Um, yeah, that, that could... <laughs> I'm actually I'm doing a quick. I just want to like fact check myself because I know this is old. So it, it, this happened in 2013, and apparently it actually already completed. 
Wait, what? But Activision Blizzard's still a thing. Oh, wait, no. Oh, I'm getting a little, uh... I'm sorry, I'm getting a little confused. Okay, so two things happened in 2013 from what I'm looking at, right? One thing is Activision Blizzard bought itself... Activision Blizzard, the, the unit, bought itself from Vivendi. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, so Oh, maybe they didn't buy themselves back then. Oh, I think that's a good place to leave it then. Isn't yeah, this is such a because the 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 literally the t uh, uh okay yeah all right uh, that that is my miss uh, uh that is my my misunderstanding. Um. Dear listeners, if you have hot information <laughs> on what's happening at Blizzard, um, feel free and or anything else that we talked about in this podcast, feel free to let us know at subdurbsplaygames at gmail .com. Follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash subdurbsplaygames. Um, follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Leave us reviews on iTunes and everywhere else, and we'll love you forever. Mm -hmm. um, uh, did you have anything else that, uh, that, that you wanted to promote? Uh, no, I have nothing else that I'm looking to get into. Um, I, th I think I might actually. Um, I'm oh, thinking shit. I might start streaming again uh, next week. You can t check me out at twitch.tv slash mango. It will be auto-hosted to some Derps Play games. Um, For what? Uh, I don't know. Whatever I feel like playing. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, I, it's just a thing I kind of want to try again. Um, so uh, I think that's it. Uh, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.